what's up, Liquid Church? Good to see you guys. Hey, give a welcome to all of our campuses who are joining us, Essex County, Middlesex, Somerset, Mountainside, Garwood, Church Online. Glad you're here. Uh, my name's Tim, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And uh, who's ready for February? You ready to do this? All right. First off, congratulations if you've been participating in our 21-day fast. Today, you get to get your coffee on, okay? Uh, let's hear for all the folks who've been fasting. You're part of the Daniel Fast. You did it three weeks. Today, you can enjoy wings and sliders and White Castle and spend some time in the bathroom and uh, just have a great time at the big game. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, but what we're doing is we're actually kicking off a brand new series we're calling Love, Sex, and Dating, or LSD for short. Uh, this is a four-week series on a little-known book of the Bible called Song of Solomon. It's in the Old Testament, and it's actually Hebrew love poetry, which I know you guys love. Uh, so it's, it's one of the least preached-on sections of Scripture. I think you're about to be surprised, though, how relevant this is to modern relationships. Uh, because we live in a crazy culture right now, right? We kind of live in this age of Tinder and online dating and casual hookups and no-fault divorce. Um, but here at Liquid, just like hear my heart, we really are passionate about people building healthy relationships, fulfilling friendships, functional families, thriving marriages, and that actually buck the breakup trends in the culture. So wherever you are in your relationship status, I think there's going to be something for you. Um, singles specifically, I think this series, I hope it's going to encourage you. Understand, hear my heart, we're not doing this series to torture you, okay? <laughs> like it's like, okay, it's almost Valentine's Day, they're really going to kind of rub it in there. Um, first off, did you know this? Um, the Bible actually says that being single is a gift. That, that's actually true. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I wish everybody were single as I am, right? Save you a lot of headaches. Uh, but the point is, we're not implying by this series that everybody should be married or dating. If you're not, you're somehow inferior, incomplete. Um, so single folks, I hope you won't check out. Hopefully, my prayer for you is that at Liquid, you have uh, discovered deep friendships, uh, of, of spiritual depth. You have great community around you, but one day you may feel called to a relationship, and I think this is going to be helpful. Uh, likewise, if you identify with the LGBTQ community, I realize you may hold a different view than the biblical perspective on heterosexual marriage, and I'm preaching from the scriptures today, and, but I also would like to hear from you. So I, as a senior pastor, I'm actually going to host a coffee for all our LGBTQ friends after one of the services in this series. Uh, because a senior pastor, I kind of just want to hear your story over coffee and just have dialogue, not like, like debate, but just learn how can we help encourage you spiritually. And I'll share details about that coffee later in the series. Um, now, if you're dating or you are engaged, um, first off, you're going to see how the Song of Solomon tells us what to prioritize as you look for prospective partner in life. And, and here's a hint. It ain't what the culture says is important, or at least number one. And then if you're married, um, in the weeks to come, just to let you know, we're going to talk about really sensitive subjects like sex. Like sex, okay? <laughs> and in handling conflict, because sex, then there's conflict, okay? How, how do you actually deepen intimacy in marriage? Because uh, if you're married like me, I mean, you know this, right? Marriage is hard, man, right? I mean, keeping the fires of passion burning when you got, you know, middle of work and raising kids, it's a huge challenge, but I just want to say, let me just tell you something. God does not intend for relationships to go flat, amen? He doesn't want them to like fizzle as they grow older. As we're going to see here in God's word, God himself is a passionate lover, and you and I are created in his image. 
And so his desire is that actually our relationships deepen over time. They actually grow in love and depth and vulnerability, not cynicism over time. So let's check our baggage this morning, okay? If you're married, you need to put a little sizzle back in your sauce, okay? This is for you. I want to encourage you to take notes, all right? Solomon's going to put a little spice back in your boudoir, all right? So here we go. Let's, uh, let's open God's Word together. If you want to turn your Bible to the Song of Solomon, or as it's called, the Song of Songs. And you can also swipe there on your phone to liquid, the Liquid Church mobile app. We always have fill-in-the-blank notes where you can kind of follow along, and we'll have the Scripture there too. Let me give you a background. So here's the deal. This is like a, watching a, a romantic—it's not a romantic comedy. It's like a love story that was written around the year 970 B.C. So this is about 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And it's a love story written by King Solomon. And people have read this book over thousands of years on two different levels. Uh, first, you could read it as an allegory. That is, it's a picture of God's love for his people. Like in the Old Testament, God's love for, for Israel, or Jesus' love for the church in the New Testament, right? The, the church we're called the Bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom. So on one level, it's a picture of God's love for us. But the second way you can read it is as a literal love story, between a young man and young woman, between King Solomon and his bride. And we're going to read it actually on both levels. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to watch as this young couple passionately pursues and honors and they begin to, to share their vulnerabilities and build trust and they exchange sweet words and kisses and then they start navigating this, this rocky road of, you know, dating, marriage, the whole shebang. And we're going to read the first chapter today line by line, which is going to sound like a duet. There's two people talking. A young man, and that's King Solomon. Now, Solomon was the son of King David and Bathsheba. They has actually, mom and dad had an affair, so God can use our sexual failures in spite of us. Uh, but Solomon ruled over Israel during the glory days. Uh, again, in the, around 970 BC, he was the richest man in antiquity. He was the wisest man on the face of the earth, and he wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, other wisdom literature. But here's the key. Solomon was also a romantic he wrote over a thousand songs in his lifetime. And verse 1 of chapter 1 says this. This is Solomon's song of songs. In other words, that's a superlative. This is the best of the best you're about to read. This is the greatest of the greatest hits, his best song about love. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon writes this as a young man, and he's going to describe the story of his initial sparks of attraction and his courtship with this young woman, uh, who was actually a Jewish peasant girl that he spies one day. He sees her working in his vineyards. So it's a love song. It's like a duet between two people talking back and forth. And as we draw the curtain up here in verse 2, you'll notice things are starting to heat up already. All right, you ready to get into this? Here we go. The young woman speaks first, and she says, Let him kiss me. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. <laughs> All right, hold, hold on there, right? Some of you are like, wait, what? Now, first off, notice who speaks first. The woman, right? She does. The woman actually takes the initiative in this ancient romance, and that was sort of like, really? Wow, the, the woman's like, come on over here and kiss me, big boy, right? <laughs> All the men are like, oh, I'm taking notes. This is, this is. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than what? Wine. wine. So in other words, as we look in on this, on this couple, they're, they're kind of sitting on the couch here, 
and she's like, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. And they got a, a bottle of wine. At, man, notice it is a bottle of wine, not a box of wine, okay? Just, there's gonna be some real practical handles for you today. So, so it's a little bit awkward, but we're like looking in on this couple who are having this kind of intimate moment here. And it says in verse three, she actually continues, she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name, it's like perfume poured out. In other words, mm, you smell good, Solomon. <laughs> what, what, what do you got going on there? Is that a little polo? Is that Versace? What is this? Okay. Now, now just, just listen here. The, the men, again, a clarification. This is not the Bible saying, get yourself some Axe body spray and you go crazy. <laughs> the ladies love it, okay? The Hebrew word here, for perfume actually means purified oil. She says, your name's like pure oil. Your name, your reputation, your character is like gold. Solomon, you are a man of integrity. See, beyond the wine, beyond the perfume, all that superficial stuff, she's actually praising Solomon's character. And this is important because you're about to see how their romance begins from the inside out. In other words, it's the opposite of our culture. It begins on a spiritual level about their, a connection between their character or their soul. And it's going to move to the emotional. They're going to exchange these sweet words of affirmation and tenderness. And then it moves to the physical. And our culture, of course, starts at the outside in. If they ever even get to in, it's just like hot or not, you know, physical kind of thing. But she starts by praising Solomon's character. She says, your name, your name is like perfume poured out. In the Old Testament, your name meant everything. Your name was your reputation. It was your reputation for godliness and honesty and truth and compassion. And, and she says, your name, man, it's just like, everybody knows about you. You're a man of God. And verse four says, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his translation. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Okay, I got it. Again, some of you are like, what translation are you using here? Because this is really awkward, right? It feels that way. Did you know this? Hebrew men were not allowed to read this book until they turned 30 in the Old Testament. <laughs> it was thought too scandalous, too intimate. I mean, think about it, right? If you, if you, let me use my Barry White voice. If you heard somebody say, I want to kiss you with the kisses of my mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. What song do you think they're playing on their Spotify list, people? They, oh, yeah. Stop it! We're in church! What is wrong with you people? We're in church, people! My goodness! Get your money. Guys, seriously, this is how God's word starts. With this, this romantic, awkward encounter between a young man and woman. There's kisses, there's wine, there's a little Drake. <laughs> and here's the surprise. We learn out of the gate that actually godly, romantic love is intoxicating. <laughs> it's awkward, but it's intoxicating, and that's how God designed it. See, as modern people, we are so cynical about love. We're like, ah, you know, love, there's no such thing as love, and people are always out for themselves, there's selfishness, and people get hurt. Just check your baggage for a minute. This is the honeymoon. 
This is the way God actually designed love, sex, dating, the whole shebang. It was, sex was his idea. We are pro-sex here at Liquid. Now, understand. <laughs> I'm going to clarify this in a minute, okay? Understand, what we're reading is an idealized picture of a relationship between Solomon and his bride. This is their honeymoon, meaning selfishness and sin has not warped the picture yet. But I want you to think back, and I'm going to challenge some of you. I'm going to have some questions for singles, questions for married folks. I'll start with married men. Can you remember what first intoxicated you about your spouse? What was the first thing you found, like, intoxicating? You know, some, I, some of you are like, I can't remember. I was intoxicated myself at the time. I don't... This is a great question, okay, for married couples. Follow me. This is okay. Listen, does something about your spouse still intoxicate you, still give you butterflies, make you actually want to get a glass of wine and, you know, put on some, you know, John Mayer, whatever your jam is, okay? I, I, listen, I remember I first felt those feelings for my wife, Colleen. Here's a picture of my, my beautiful bride of 20 years. Can we hear for that? 20 years of marriage? Married for two decades, okay? So we got some miles on the odometer. We don't have the perfect marriage like you. We're working on it every day. Uh, but we met freshman year out in Chicago, Wheaton College. Uh, this is 1993. Yeah! This is our first date, okay? Um, we met in freshman writing class, and I will never forget the day that she walked in. Because I'm, I'm a Jersey boy, right? And, uh, and, like, you know, we were in the Midwest, so it's like all L.L. Bean, very preppy. Uh, but Colleen grew up in New York, so she's a city girl. And she walks in, and she's got, like, the tan skin and, like, pff, big hair, like, out to here. And I was like, home, you know? <laughs> I was, like, just drawn to that. And uh, this is a picture from our first date. We actually, our first date was on Halloween. I, I was Elvis. And uh, she wore my hockey jersey. And, uh, and we went out to dinner, and then we carved a pumpkin in a cornfield, because I'm a romantic, and it was also very cheap. It was less than $2, so that was a bonus there. <laughs> this is how it started for us, okay, 27 years ago. And I can, I can still remember, you know, like being so nervous, because she smelled good, you know, she looked good. Man, I was all over that. 20 years later, still am all over that, praise God, okay? Now listen, the reason I said, listen, it may feel awkward to talk about, but the picture, the Bible, the Word of God paints out of the gate is that godly love is intoxicating. It's joy-filled. It's heady. It's a picture of God's unconditional embrace for us. So married folks, what, what still intoxicates you about your partner? Or maybe it's been some time since you felt those sparks. But let's again, let's not get cynical yet. Let's not say, well, it's not like that for me. Just check your baggage here. Let's just celebrate what this couple's got going on, okay? That's what their friends do, actually, in verse 4. They're, this is your turn. You're about to hear a third voice. We heard the man and the woman, but now her friends are going to chime in because that's the deal, guys. When you, when you date a girl, you, her friends, you get a bonus plan, okay? They're going to comment <laughs> on your relationship. And so the friends are like the Greek chorus in this song. So let's read this together. Big, loud voice. Here we go. Verse 4. Ready? We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. So all her friends are like, yes! Relationship goals! This is so exciting. I love it. How romantic. Again, this is an idealized picture of what romantic relationships can be when approached God's way. 
pure godly love is intoxicating, but it makes you wonder, well, what attracted these, these two people together in the first place? And to answer that, you gotta hit the rewind button. See, the Song of Songs is not written in chronological order. It's more like random shuffle. And so what it is, is we've just walked in in the middle of the honeymoon. These, these, these lovebirds are, are on the couch and they're exchanging sweet nothings. But in verse five, we're about to jump to a flashback of their, how their relationship first got going. So singles, don't check out. This is where it gets interesting. The rest of the song is gonna tell their story of their initial attraction, their kind of dating, the conflict that they have, and what first brought them together. What was it that Solomon saw in this young woman? What drew his attention? You know, was she, you know, tan and big hair like Colleen? Apparently so, actually. Uh, in, in verse five, she says this. She says, dark am I, I'm tan. Yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Cater, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Now, I understand most of these references mean nothing to you at first blush, uh, but Kali and I, we actually just got back from Israel. We were there for 10 days, kind of learning and walking and hiking in the Holy Land. And uh, we did a little research here. And when the woman says, dark am I, dark like the tents of Kedar, Kedar was actually a Bedouin tribe. They lived in the desert. And their tents were made of black wool. Let me show you a photo, okay? This is what she's talking about. So the girl's saying, hey, I have a dark complexion. I'm dark-skinned, but not naturally. In other words, she was sunburned. And let me tell you something. Being sunburned and tan was not a beauty mark in Solomon's day. This is why she says in verse 6, Do not stare at me because I'm dark. Because I'm darkened by the sun. Why? Because dark skin meant you were poor working class. You had to work outside. Dark skin was, it meant you worked in the fields. You, didn't even have, you, don't, you don't have a father. You don't have a boyfriend. You don't have a, a husband to take care of you. So you got to go fend for yourself. You're sunburned. See, in Solomon's day, wealthy women lived inside the palace. They had white porcelain skin. They were well kept. Not only were they pasty, they were a bit plump too, okay? Because that was a sign of like, I'm well fed. I'm cared for by a man. So, right, like get this, travel back here. In Solomon's day, the beauty mark was pasty and plump. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you went on, like, Instagram and they saw, like, tan and skinny, ooh, I feel sorry for her, okay? <laughs> now, now, fast forward, right? <laughs> fast forward 3,000 years, okay, to our beauty marks. Times change a little bit, yeah, okay? Nowadays, it's, it's, it's reversed if you look at it, right? You know, everyone's like, don't stare at me. It's winter. I'm pale, you know, I'm pasty. In our culture, people go to tanning salons, right? Uh, or use a bronzer so it looks like they've been sun-kissed. But Solomon's world had very different standard of beauty marks. And this is sensitive because we quickly see that she's insecure about her appearance. Don't stare at me. Why are you looking so closely? I'm dark. I'm darkened by the sun. In other words, I don't look like this. I don't match the, 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 stand, the beauty standards that our culture says a goddess is supposed to look like. Anybody relate to this, by the way? <laughs> okay? Both men and women, right? That's why it's a sensitive subject, because it brings out all of our insecurities and vulnerabilities. Anybody here look in the mirror and they're like, well, I ain't look like the magazine here, okay? Six-pack party ball. That's just, that's just not... <laughs> Here's the challenge. Western culture says physical appearance is the number one priority for the foundation of a relationship. And Solomon approaches this woman and immediately her, her insecurities start to come out. And this is what's cool, I love about God's word, it's real, right? 
Like this is idealized, but these are real people with vulnerabilities. And let's be honest, right? We all have some things we'd like to change about ourselves. We all have insecurities, right? You're like, oh man, my nose is too big, or I could use, lose a few pounds, or you know, my hair is thinning, or we're insecure physically. Some of us are insecure emotionally. I, I talked to a woman last week who said, I'm worried about this series because you can't trust men. I said, really? She said, no. No, I can't trust. And she told me about her dad who wasn't there and then the man who really hurt you because they all lie. They're all after one thing. I've been hurt before. We all have these insecurities, physical, emotional. But here's our problem. You and I don't live back in 970 BC. We live in 2019 AD in the age of Tinder. <laughs> and all these superficial things are amplified right now in a way people could hardly conceive 3,000 years ago. If you're over the age of 30 and don't know what Tinder is, uh, it is a mobile, <laughs> that wasn't a dig, I just, I know, all right? Uh, it's a mobile dating, the hottest one right now. It basically shows a, a photo of the person with a one, you know, quick, quick one-line description. And what you do is, is you flip through photos. And if you look at the picture and you like what you see, you swipe right, I'm gonna keep that person. And if you don't, ew, I don't like that one, you swipe left. And what happens is you swipe right, I like this one, and then if she swipes right, guess what happens? You are, bing, you're matched by Tinder, and then you can start texting to each other and say, let's, let's meet, you know, hook up or whatever it is, okay? Now, here, here's the deal about this, okay? 85% of Tinder users are between the ages of 18 and 35, okay? But this, this is the new reality. You've probably been at restaurants where you see people not even, they're just going like this, just swiping, okay, at the bar, swiping, all right? Over 50 million daily users of this right now, and in January, Tinder surpassed 1 billion total matches. Now, obviously, it's kind of a superficial way to, to, to meet people, right? Because you're rating others purely on their physical appearance. There's not much depth in, like, getting to know the other person's heart, their soul, their personality, who they are. It's generally overlooked. And to be totally honest, a lot of men are only on Tinder for a quick hookup. So if it's a serious relationship you're, you're after, this probably ain't for you. In fact, HBO just did a documentary on this called Swiped which shows how the new rules of romance are being rewritten for millennials. Watch this. I've probably used every dating app. It became so easy, why wouldn't you do it? There you go, there's the match. They were like, oh, no fat God. women, no, no black, black. only 18 to 25. A lot of the companies are started by boys. They're not men, they're boys. That's why it is the way it is. All the guys, they're looking for that night hookups. Most of your Tinder dates get physical real quick. I'm so caught up in how I look. And then I'm also caught up in how they look. It's hard work, that self-presentation. Social media is enlightening a lot of young women to realize I don't have to be treated like a sex object for the rest of my life. I do remember when you used to call people on the phone. I think if you called someone these days, you'd probably get labeled a psychopath. Did you catch that? He said, if you called someone nowadays, they'd think you're a psychopath. Okay, these are the new rules of love, sex, and dating in a digital world. And you know what? That's sad, by the way. Okay, young adults, I just want to encourage you to push back against the culture because you may swipe right past the love of your life if you stay on the surface. If you don't actually take time to dig deeper and discover who others really are made in the image of God. Tinder actually turns, turns dating and romance into a game. It's actually very addictive. They've gamified it where you actually kind of, some people actually just flip through to make fun of the photos. Oh, look at her, look at her, through the screens. And then all of a sudden, that's the way now you approach people in general. 
I take a quick look, I decide in or out, swipe right or left. Now I'm not bashing online dating, it's a very legitimate way to meet uh, people nowadays, right? Match.com, eHarmony, whatever it is, but I'm just saying, if King Solomon has used Tinder, he might have swiped right past the love of his life. Oh, she's too dark, too light, too short, too tall. And my fear is that some of you may be doing that by buying hook, line, and sinker into our culture's obsession with physical appearance. This young girl feels insecure about her appearance. And in verse 6, she explains. She actually says, My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. In other words, she's a working girl. My own vineyard, I've neglected. She's like, I'm poor. You want to know why? I've been out working all day in the vineyard, in the family business. I haven't had time to take care of myself. I haven't been like all spot up and gone to De Pesquale, okay? When, so, so, when, so when King Solomon, catch this, King Solomon, he kind of rolls up in his chariot because he's out visiting his vineyards. All her insecurities start to come to the surface. But watch this. This is what's beautiful. I love this. Solomon's about to do something beautiful. <laughs> This man is about to wash those insecurities away with his words of tenderness and affection and affirmation and sweet words. He's going to actually build her up. This is beautiful. By the way, whoever you're with should always build you up. In other words, that's how you know. If you walk away from somebody, you should feel better about yourself because of having spent time with them. If you walk away and you actually feel torn down, that's how you know it's actually toxic. But Solomon's looking beneath the surface, her physical appearance, and he's looking at her character. Now watch this. This is what he says is beautiful. Look at verse 9. What are the first words out of his mouth to her? He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. In other words, don't be insecure, honey. In my eyes, you look like a horse. <laughs> just, I'm just, just. Wait, 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 what? What? Wait, what? Obviously, I had some, something lost in translation here. Well, let's, okay, here, here's the deal, here's the deal. In ancient Egypt, chariots were actually pulled by a team of horses, except for the chariot of Pharaoh, the king, whose chariot was pulled by a dazzling white mare. One st the, this beautiful female horse was so white and pure, it was thought to be sent directly from God, a spiritual creature from heaven. And so Solomon looks at this young lady and he, he listens to all her insecurities. Don't look at me, I'm too dark and I don't like the way I look. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I see, sweetheart. In my eyes, you are the most beautiful spiritual creature I've ever seen. Girl, you drive my chariot. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. He's, he's washing away her insecurities with these tender words, these sweet words of, of love and affirmation. You are spiritually beautiful, my sweet girl. Men, do you talk to your wives that way? <laughs> Probably used to when you were dating. <laughs> now it's just like, turn the Super Bowl on. Come on, here we go. Give me a bring a beer, right? This raises a really good question. Is Solomon just being sweet? Or what does he see in this girl that's spiritually beautiful? What does he value that others don't? And the answer is he's drawn to her character. Everybody say character. He's looking beyond her superficial beauty marks to something deeper at the bedrock of her soul. Think about this. He sees a peasant girl working in the fields of the king. And as his chariot pulls closer, he sees a girl who is working hard to provide for her family. And folks, that is a powerful picture of somebody with character. As he pulls up, her values are unveiled. 
In verse 7, she says this. She says back to him, tell me, you whom I love, why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flocks of your friends? And this is her getting a little sassy. She's like, what are you interested in here? Anybody know what a veiled woman is? It's actually a prostitute. In those days, shepherds might be out in the fields and prostitutes would come actually from the city. They'd put veils on because they were ashamed of what they were doing. And men would pay money for sex. It's like an, it's like an ancient booty call, okay? It's, it's like, did I say that? Yeah, ancient booty call. Okay, let's just go with it. Listen, they, it's in my footnotes. And, and so they, she's like, I'm not like that. If you think I'm going to be like that, I ain't here for a hookup. In other words, I realize your friends may act like that, but I have higher standards. I actually have spiritual values. I have godly character. And I realize we may live in a swipe right culture where sex with strangers and hooking up, they're just, it's just considered normal. But the truth is, God invented sex and he actually gave it as a gift for a man and woman to enjoy within the covenant of marriage. That was God's original design. I know this is going to sound archaic, but his original design is that sex would be the natural spiritual culmination of love and romance within the safety of a marriage covenant. Why? Oh, because he doesn't want you to have any fun. That's why he's just a killjoy. No! Because he's your father and he cares about his children. He says, I don't want you to have the broken hearts. I don't want you to have the guilty feelings. No shame, no regrets, no STDs, no abortions. I want you to have free, unabandoned lovemaking within the covenant and safety of marriage. That's his original intent for love, sex, and dating. God says sex is primarily spiritual. The problem is our culture has twisted that and says, no, no, sex isn't sacred. Sex isn't spiritual. It's just something biological. You know, you and I ain't nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> remember that? That's not in there either. That's, not, that's, that's my high school years. I remember that one. <laughs> our culture says it's just a biological. It's just it's what you do with another consenting adult if you have the urge. Guys, How's that working out for you? Look at the results in our culture. It's full of shattered lives and broken marriages and dysfunctional relationships where hearts get broken and God isn't honored and we wonder why singlehood and marriage are so jacked up. Listen, listen to me, adult, adults. If, listen, especially if you're single. If you want what everyone else has, do what everyone else does. If you look around you in the culture, and you want what everyone else has, just do what everyone else does. But if you want something different and better, you got to do something different than the culture. you got to honor God. So understand when you, I'm not, okay, cool. We're affirming that, and I'm not bashing you if, if you're sexually active. I'm not trying to bring on guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. But God wants something more for you. And when you're dating, you have two options when it comes to sex, all right? Number one, you can choose together. We're going to honor God together. We're going to get made fun of by our friends. People are going to say we're stupid or we're old-fashioned or we're prudes or ridiculous. But together, we're going to say, God, we want to honor you. We're going to honor God together. That's option one. Here's your second option. Sin together. Screw God. We're going to do what feels good. We're just going to go with what the culture says, and that's just the way it's going to be, and we're going to hope he's going to bless us. Got it? Honor God together, or we can sin together. Those are your options. So, why is this important? Because when you're dating, you're laying the foundation that your whole marriage will stand or fall on. And if you choose to sin together, you're demonstrating, I can't even be trusted before the real pressure of marriage begins. You're failing to honor God and your girlfriend right out of the gate. 
And so the foundation is cracked to start. That's why there's so many cracked relationships, lack of spiritual integrity and character. Again, if you want what everyone else has, go ahead and do what everyone else does. But if you want something different, do what Colleen and I did. Wait for sex until marriage. And it was a struggle, and it was a temptation, and, 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 and we weren't perfect, but we decided to wait till we were married because of our commitment to Christ. I prioritized God over the girl. And so I protected Colleen's character. I'm not going to make her like a veiled woman. I'm not going to push her sexually. I'm not going to manipulate or take advantage and just do what my friends do. You know what? I'll just be honest with you. I believe with all my heart that's one of the reasons for the strong marriage that we enjoy today because we sacrifice short-term pleasure for long-term blessing. Okay? I really do believe that. And I know some of you may be like, you know, man, I'd love that, Tim. I wish there were Christian men like that. The, the problem is I always seem to attract the wrong kind of guys, you know? Have you heard that? I, I've had people tell me, I attract guys that are only after one thing. May I say this with great <laughs> gentleness and respect? If you don't like the fish you're catching, maybe it's time to change the bait you're using. In other words, if you're posting pictures on Tinder and the Gram, let me tell you, kings don't fish in that pond. Boys fish in that pond, not kings. Kings and queens are looking for something deeper and more substantive to build a relationship on, and that is character. That's what Solomon's looking for. How do we know? Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs and, and wise sayings, and in Proverbs 31, he asked this. Listen to this. He says, a wife of what noble? Who can find her? She is worth far more than rubies. Now, that word character is interesting. It comes from the Greek word karatso. Go ahead, say it. Karatso. Splem a little on your neighbor. Okay. <laughs> it, it, karatso means you actually chisel it or engrave it into metal. It's like this photo. It's, karatso literally means to etch something onto metal. In other words, it's a different kind of beauty mark. It's something that's been etched so deeply into the bedrock of a person's soul, it's permanent. It's their character. It's who they are. It's a person of integrity who acts the same in public and in private, even when no one else is looking. They're the same. It's a person of honesty. It's this willingness to be vulnerable, radically transparent, warts and all. I hear my insecurities. Here are my, my brokenness. In spite of the fear of rejection, I'm going to be authentic. It's a person who has a bedrock commitment to Christ. And a willingness to sacrifice actually short-term pleasure for long-term blessing. In a lot of ways, guys, karatso is the opposite of this. <laughs> it's the opposite of our culture's obsession with physical appearance. It's what Peter is referring to when he wrote these words. Listen to this word of God. Don't be concerned about what outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with what? The beauty that comes from within the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God valuable precious infinite worth Carrazzo cares about what the true king sees you don't care about the world's stamp of approval I want God's stamp of approval because man looks on the outward appearance but God looks at the heart so let me ask a question of all the single folks at our campuses what are you looking for like in a potential mate? Do you have a spiritual silhouette of them? You can see it in your mind's eye. I, I, I don't mean like a silhouette. Yeah, I want a 5'7", and she's like, not like that. I mean like a spiritual silhouette. I, I, want, I, I need a man who's actually tender, 
with his words. I grew up in a, hard, a tough home and I just need that tender, soft place to land. I want a woman who's filled with joy and laughter because I can have a critical spirit. I want, I want someone with a servant's heart. The reality is I talk to a lot of single men and women and <laughs> everybody has a, you know, physical silhouette, right? Well, he needs to be six foot tall because I'm five, he needs to have brown hair and, you know, drive this kind of car and have this salary and make this amount of money, you know? Or as one guy, you know, told me, he said, I was like, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, I'm kind of looking for like a Victoria's Secret model who loves the Lord, you know, kind of. <laughs> really, right? We rationalize it. We try to make it sound spiritual. But can I ask, what are the beauty marks of the soul that you're looking for? A commitment to Christ, a willingness to sacrifice, a, a humility to actually serve others in need in the background. Because when you view prospective partners with God's glasses, and you see what God says is precious, you see what God values, karazzo, character comes first. It's the number one thing. It's how the Song of Solomon starts. It, it starts with the spiritual, moves out to the emotional, and then it moves on to the physical. See, don't mishear me. I'm not like, oh, Mr. Spiritual, physical does, attraction doesn't count. No, 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 not at all. Physical attraction is a key part of romantic relationship. In fact, wait till next Sunday, all right? I'm just giving you a heads up right now. In uh, week two and three, you're, you're gonna see how this love song gets, you know, boom, chicken, kind of thing uh, next week. I'm just giving you a heads up, parents, all right? Ne next week and, and week after PG-13. God, in, so in other words, invite anyone's over 13. They need to be here, okay? God, <laughs> God's a God of physical beauty. He made beautiful things. And Solomon praises her beauty in verse 10. Look at this. He says, your cheeks, they're beautiful with earrings. In other words, you've got a beautiful face, girl. Your neck with strings of jewels will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. In other words, he's like, honey, don't be insecure. You are beautiful inside and out. Okay, I'm a king. I can make you bling, okay? That, that's not what's most important to me. Girl, you in your unguarded, unpolished, natural state, with your makeup off, with your hair pulled back and a scrunchie, <laughs> sweatpants on, okay? You are the most beautiful spiritual soul I've ever seen. Character comes first. I know some of you are saying, well, that's, that's easy for you to say, Tim, right? You said you were attracted to your wife, you know, she's a hottie, all that, and, uh, she, and she loves the Lord. And you know what? You're right. I got the complete package. I'm just telling you, okay? Colleen is the most beautiful woman in this church. I'm just telling you that fact. And, <laughs> hey, hey, if you want to argue it, I'll see you in the parking lot. I will drop you like a back of wet cement, okay? I'm just saying, man, <laughs> in a very Jesus-like way. I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> let, let me tell you something about my initial attraction to my wife. When I told you, yeah. When she walked in that freshman writing class, the, the first thing, you know, oh my gosh, beautiful face, you know, the big hair. She was, I remember she was wearing these umbro shorts, like, and I was like, ooh, butter legs, you know, I like to touch, you know, kind of thing. But that, listen, 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 that's not what convinced me she was marriage material. See, when I called her up to ask her out, uh, I said, hey, I called her up for a Friday, and uh, I said, you know, you want to go out to dinner, uh, Tim from freshman writing class? And she said, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, oh, this Friday? Yeah. She goes, oh, I'd love to, but I'm actually going to prison this Friday. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, that's, like, I've been turned down before. I haven't heard that one, right? <laughs> I'm going to prison. She goes, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I am going to prison, but I'm not being incarcerated. I actually go to a young woman's correctional facility on Friday nights to tutor young women. I actually teach them basic skills. Math and reading, I just show them the love of Jesus. Let me tell you something, that was very intriguing to me. 
because I thought about what do I do typically on Friday nights, and basically it was playing Xbox with my buddies, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Here's this girl sacrificing her Friday nights to serve people who've wrecked their life and just show them the love of Jesus. And so one Friday night, I actually went to see her off because they would take a van to the correctional facility, and there she is. She's got her sweatpants on, hair in a scrunchie, and she's got her books and everything. And she would go there, and she would mentor these young women, kind of like getting like a big sister. She'd pray with them. She'd, she'd read the Bible and share about the love of Jesus, that you can have a second chance. And let me tell you something, that became very attractive to me. Because I grew up in a church where it was just like, we're the holy huddle here. Everyone else is going to hell. See, I told you, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I, re I realized there was something deeply spiritual about my wife's character, her heart for the least of these, who were in prison and forgotten, women who Jesus loved and gave his life for. And that spirit of compassion, I remember thinking, that's the kind of woman I could imagine having kids with. It's the kind of woman I can imagine raising a family. I can imagine marrying someday. And guess what? I'll tell you what. Over the course of the last 20 years, it's that part of her heart, Carrazzo, that has most profoundly shaped our family, that has shaped me, that has shaped this church. Why do you think we do all these outreaches and we care for people? I learned that from my wife. Her servant spirit has been etched now onto the surface of my heart. You get it? Don't swipe past the love of your life. Godly attraction starts on the inside, the spiritual, the emotional, and then the physical. It's why Solomon went on to write this proverb. He said, charm is deceptive. Beauty is what? Fleeting. Fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be? Can we praise God for godly women and godly men? It can happen, guys. Have hope. Don't be cynical. It happens still today. You can have a different relationship than the culture says. But godly character is the firm foundation for any relationship because that's where the security comes from. I have the security of knowing that when beauty fades, and it is, <laughs> we, or we have some tragic loss. She loses her health. I lose my hair. Tragedy, okay? <laughs> I know she'll be by my side. Why? Because of her commitment to Christ. I know she'll be committed to me, amen? amen. Single men. Solomon is the wisest man in the Bible, and who does he pick? The pimped out dancer on stage in his palace? Nuh-uh. He shines a spotlight on a humble peasant girl who is faithfully serving in the fields of the king. He says, you are the mayor of Pharaoh in my eyes. What's your spiritual silhouette look like? Got one singles? Because you can come to this church and understand we got a lot of good-looking people here, okay? Don't fall for it. <laughs> Don't fall for it. Anyone can scrub up good for an hour on Sunday. <laughs> it's true. I'm preaching the truth up in here. I'm just, okay, I just. Take Solomon's advice. Find a girl, find a guy who serves behind the scenes, who isn't all out front trying to be spectacular and seen, and you nurture that humble servant heart, and he or she will love you for it. And you will build a foundation that won't crack or fade over time. Solomon washes away her insecurities with these sweet words and, and oh, wait, wait till you see what Well, let's just say what happens next. Things get a little hot up in here, okay? And for that, you'll have to come back next week, okay? That's, that's part two. That's next week. Bait and hook for you. But tonight, you got homework. I'm giving homework through this series, people, all right? 
to all the different groups of people, married couples first. Here's what I want you to do. Tonight, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to get into bed. Now, just wait for it. Listen, listen. That's next week. Wait for it. Tonight, those of you who've been married a while, you're like, all right, that's 8.30. (laughs) Make it to the halftime show, people, right? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. You get into bed, and before you go to sleep, I want you to hold the other one's face in your hands. And I want you to look them in the eye. Look them in the eye. You're not trying any moves here, okay, guys? This is just, I want you to tell your spouse one aspect of their character that you find intoxicating, that you're just grateful for, the way God made them. Honey, the way you are so patient with our kids, I am ready to... Thank you for your patience. (laughs) Honey, the way you get up every morning and you get on that train without complaining, I just thank you. I know your work isn't always a joy and you work hard to provide for us. Thank you. And you praise them for one aspect of their character. Then you can praise them for their physical beauty and pray and see where that leads, all right? That's married folks, all right? (laughs) If you're dating or engaged, I want you to think of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or fiance right now and I want you to ask yourself, what is it about their karatso, their spiritual character that makes me want to be with them? Not superficial stuff. Well, we, we both like long walks on the beach. We both like country music. No. no. <laughs> First off, it's country music. You all run, man. That's just like, <laughs> I just said, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like Luke Bryan. You like Luke Bryan? So a few of you. All right, all right. What is it about their eternal soul before God their unfading spirit, their integrity. And if you can't think of anything substantive, you may want to reevaluate that relationship. Just open a conversation, see where God guides you. And finally, if you're single and you're searching for that special someone, do you have a spiritual silhouette of the guy or the gal maybe one day you'd like to be with? Again, not five, seven, blonde eyes, body type. Yeah, I want a woman who's, who's patient and forgiving. It can be so harsh and critical and judgmental. That was me. <laughs> I found a woman who softened those edges like sandpaper around my heart. I want a man who's quick to serve, not flashy, spiritual characteristics. Remember, take it from Solomon. What's he say? A husband or wife of noble character who can find he or she is worth far more than rubies. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We love it, Lord. It's it's awesome. I just thank you for how open and candid, Lord, that you would put a book uh, in your holy word, God, that opens to us some of the intricacies of romantic love. I thank you, Lord, for being the author of love and sex and marriage. And so we're not ashamed about that. So I thank you for the freedom in this place. But I also, Lord, I know there are people who are hurting. And Lord, I pray right now for maybe married couples who are aware of gaps in their relationships. God, I pray over the next few weeks, you'd begin just healing and nursing back to health, opening a conversation that, Lord, would help heal hurting hearts. I pray for single people, Father, who maybe are are a little bit cynical or feeling hopeless. Holy Spirit, give them hope, Father God, that they don't have to be a statistic in the culture, that there's more than tinder. There's still godly men and women out there who love you, Jesus Christ, and who want to serve and be faithful for a lifetime. Father, I pray if there's anything that I've said that has not been from your mouth, my words would just fall to the floor and be remembered no more. But if there's something, Lord, helpful, eternal for building that foundation, Lord, shimmer it like rubies. Let us take it, Father, and go home and represent you in our relationships. 
And to all glory go to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everyone said together? Amen. Let's give God a praise for his word. It's an awesome thing. It's awesome. Get ready for week two.